Well, we are following this story thread as we kick off here that runs throughout the whole Bible that points us to Jesus. And today we're going to talk about this Old Testament uh, character of, of Gideon. And we find the story of Gideon in the Old Testament book of Judges. And Judges uh, takes place during this time period of Israel that they had settled into the promised land, but they didn't yet have a king. So God would use Judges to rule over uh, the people of Israel. And Gideon was one of those judges. And the people of Israel, as soon as they moved into the promised land and they got settled and got a little comfortable, they did what you and I tend to do uh, when it comes to God, is they started treating God like a luxury. They started treating God as, uh, as unnecessary. They started uh, treating God as, uh, as an option. And, and that's what we do. I mean, we, you know, we get comfortable in life. Things are kind of cruising along and going well. Then, uh, you know, we, we kind of treat God like we don't really need him all that much. And so when the people of Israel, as we read the book of Judges, when the people of Israel would get in trouble uh, or they would, have, uh, they would have enemies oppressing them, as we're going to see today, they would cry out, to, they'd cry out to God and God would raise up a leader or a judge that would, that would lead them. And so that's what Gideon was. So a little bit about Gideon uh, is Gideon was a reluctant leader at best, okay? Uh, a little bit about his faith growing up is his parents had this shrine to this little G God in his backyard. And so when Gideon starts his his journey with God, his faith was pluralistic at best, okay? And, and when God, when Gideon meets God, Gideon has all these questions about God. They have, he has all these doubts. In fact, he's a skeptic, really, when it, comes, when it comes to God. And so if you're here today and you have questions about God, or if you're here today and you have your doubts about God, or you're a skeptic when it comes to Jesus and Christianity, guess what? You are in good company today, okay? Because Gideon was the same way and God raised him up to lead the people of Israel into battle and be victorious. So who knows what God would do in your life today? So listen at your own risk, I guess, is the principle today. Um, but what this passage does show us is that God is not angered or offended by our questions. He's not angered or offended by our doubts or even our skepticism. But if anything, what this passage of scripture today shows us is that God welcomes all those things with much grace. And so we're gonna look at three questions today that Gideon asked of God that I think all of us ask at some point in our lives. And let me just give them to you up front and then we'll unpack them as we go along. Uh, but uh, Gideon, he asked questions about his circumstances and we're gonna see the surrounding circumstances. Uh, he asked questions about his competence, okay? And uh, then he asked questions about his certainty, okay? And I worked very hard to get three C's in this, okay? So, um, but, uh, but circumstances, competence, and certainty. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to your table of contents and find the Old Testament book of Judges. And Judges chapter 6 is where we're going to be today as we talk about these questions that Gideon asked. But really, they're questions that you and I ask often when it comes to our circumstances, our competence, or our certainty. So Judges chapter 6. In the first uh, six verses, they give us some context into the story. So let's just read those because they tell us what's going on uh, here. Verse 1 says, The Israelites, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, 
God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, the caves, and the strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. And they camped out on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. And they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. And it was impossible to count them or their camels. And they invaded the land to ravage it. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So, so here's what's going on. The Midianites, uh, they would make an alliance with uh, the Amalekites and uh, other eastern tribes. And once a year at harvest time, they would come in and, uh, and really sweep through and destroy everything in Israel. They destroyed the crops, they destroyed the cattle, the donkeys, everything was slaughtered. And, and Judges describes these raids like a swarm of locusts that would leave the people of Israel feeling impoverished. And what the writer is telling us is that this, the, the circumstances were so overwhelming for the people of Israel that they were scared and they were afraid and it made them feel small and fearful and defenseless. And that's why they had to make these hideouts up in the hills. They headed for the hills, so to speak, uh, and, and to hide uh, from, from their enemies. Right, verse seven, it says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, because that's what people do when they face impossible circumstances, because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. In other words, what's happening is God is reminding them how faithful he's been. God is reminding them who he is and what he's done. And so God has miraculously delivered the nation of Israel from slavery. He's miraculously parted the Red Sea. He's miraculously taken care of the people of Israel as they wandered around in the desert for 40 years, waiting for this generation of Israelites to die off who didn't trust God the first time when he brought them to the cups of the promised land. God is miraculously remind, reminding them how miraculously he's giving them the promised land. And the prophet says, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God, okay? This is a personal deal between you and me. We have a personal relationship. I am your God and you are my people. I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the little G gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And so God is reminding the people of Israel how faithful he's been and all the miracles he's performed and how he's taken care of them. And you would think that this would be enough to cause the Israelites not to go and put little G gods ahead of the one true God of the Bible, right? I mean, after all that God has done. Now, before we kind of pass judgment on the Israelites, let's turn that question around to us. I mean, how many times do you and I put little G gods ahead of the one true God? After all that he's done for us. I mean, and let's, not even, let's not even talk about the things that he's given us. I mean, and he's blessed us with the hand of the Lord. Let's, talk about, let's just talk about what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. That the difference that the, that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes in our life and all that we have 
in through Jesus and in Jesus. And we still at times put the pursuit of little G gods ahead of the one true God. Verse 11 says, the angel of the Lord. Says the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and that that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Okay, so so we we learn a lot here about uh, about Gideon because you don't typically thresh wheat in a wine press. Okay, that doesn't do your wine very well. Okay, I mean, it's bad enough when you get a cork, cork pieces in your wine. You don't want pieces of grain in your wine, okay? But he's in the wine press and he's threshing the wheat. And the way you would thresh wheat, you take the stalks of wheat and you would beat them on a, you know, on a hard floor and the grain would fall off the stalks. But here, he's doing this process in the wine press, which tells us that Gideon, he's hiding. And the reason why he's hiding is because he's scared and he's afraid that the Midianites are going to come and raid his farm and harm him. Verse 12. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. Now remember that. That's, that, that is the, the promise that we need to hang on to today. But he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And, and Gideon is like, oh, 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 you're, you're talking to me. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm no mighty warrior, okay? If anything, I'm a scared farmer. In fact, I'm scared to death. And, and, and so, in fact, I'm a scared farmer. I have lots of questions now uh, because I'm seeing an angel, okay? So, so Gideon, he, he, he's, not, he's not really thinking of himself as a mighty warrior. Verse 13, he, Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why... Has all this happened to us? There it is. There's the question of circumstance, okay? That's the question that every single one of us asks at times when, when things get difficult, when times of suffering comes, right? I mean, the doctor's report doesn't come back with good news. You know, we get laid off from our job or, you know, we have an adult child who's turned their back on God or a teenager isn't, you know, doing the things that we want them to do or, you know, we have more month than we do money in the bank account or we have a broken relationship or we're being rejected by a group of friends. And, and the first question that we want to ask when a trial or a storm comes our way is what? It's Why? It's why, why is this happening to me? And that's not a bad question to ask. And God is okay with that question. He, when we ask that question, he shows us much grace. But, but Gideon is saying, why is all this happening? And he goes on and he, and he says, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. In other words, he, he, he's saying, listen, angel of the Lord, we, we've heard all the stories. We've heard all the stories of the wonderful things that the Lord has done for our ancestors but just to be honest with you, based on our current circumstances, those sound like fairy tales to us. Now, when you and I are suffering, how do you and I reconcile the place of God in that suffering? 
Because uh, I don't know about you, but when I, when I go through suffering, it feels like God's nowhere to be found. It feels like God has abandoned me. But, but according to this passage and other passages in the Bible, God has not abandoned us, but he's right there in the middle of it. And Israel had turned their back on God and God allowed the Midianites to attack and oppress the Israelites so that Israel would then turn and cry out to God and turn their hearts back to God. There's just something about suffering that gets our attention, right? I mean, C.S. Lewis, he, he, he said, pain is God's mobile phone to a deaf world. That pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. That pain and suffering has a way of waking us up to the reality that we need God more than anyone or anything else in this world. And Israel's biggest problem was not their enemies. Our biggest problem are not our enemies. Our biggest problem is not that doctor's report. Our biggest problem is not our finances. Our biggest problem is not our failing health. Our biggest problem is not, is not the lack of finances in our bank account or the lack of a job or a lack of friends or relationship status or not getting into that school or not closing that deal or being let go, whatever it is. And I'm not trying to minimize those, okay? I've walked through many of those and that hurts. I'm not minimizing the pain that goes with those, but... But the Israelites, their biggest problem was not their enemies. Their biggest problem was they didn't listen to God. And our biggest problem is that when God says, you shall, now, you shall have no other little G gods before me, and yet we put the pursuit of little G gods ahead of him. That God says, I want to be number one. In your life. And I don't want to be number one on a list of many others. I want to be number one on a list of no others. I want the, your pursuit of, of other things in this world to pale in comparison about how you pursue me. That God says, I want to be first and foremost. I want to be front and center. I want to sit on the throne of your heart. I want to be, I want to be most important and most valued in your life because that's the place that I deserve. And I'm not sharing my glory with any little G God who cannot see, who has no eyes to see and no ears to hear and no hearts to have compassion for what you're going through. And so Israel's circumstances were bad. But God is reminding them, my presence is bigger than your circumstance. So the second question that, God, that Gideon asked is about competence. He said, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands, am I not sending you? And Gideon's like, whoa, slow down there, pal. You want me to do what? Strength. I, I, I don't have any stinking strength. In fact, I'm in full panic mode if you didn't, you know, right now, if you hadn't noticed. And, and, and clearly, you've made a mistake because I, I'm not the man. You picked the wrong man. I am not competent to do what you're asking me to do. Anybody ever feel like that with God? I am no way competent. 
I'm in no way skilled to do what you're asking me to do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what are you asking me to do? You're, you're asking me to invite this client to church? I'm trying to get his business. And you want me to invite him to church? Well, well you, you, you want me to do, my, my boss is giving me an evaluation right now and he just poured out his heart to me. You, you want me to stop and stop this evaluation down and, and pray for him? Are you kidding me, God? I'm not qualified for that. Whoa, whoa, you, you want me to start a Bible study on my campus for my friend? Oh, you've got the wrong guy for that. And we all feel like we're, not competent when God asks us to do things. And Gideon replied, he says, pardon me, Lord. But, I mean, and Gideon, he just goes into excuse mode. I mean, he says, uh, pardon me, Lord, but, but how can I save Israel? I mean, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. In other words, what, what, what Gideon is saying here, he, he's saying, hey, I, my clan is the weakest among the uh, weakest among all the tribes. In fact, I'm not even included. My tribe is not even included in the top twelve. The only way that my tribe is considered is when they're splitting one tribe up in two. And so I'm not even a legitimate tribe. I'm a half tribe. Okay? I come from a half tribe, and not only a half tribe, but an in. As insignificant half tribe. We have no power. We have no influence. We have no skill set. We're nobody. Oh, and, and, and did I fail to mention that I'm the youngest? I mean, this whole culture is built on the oldest, remember? It's from other stories that a family put all their hopes for their future and, and, and the life of the oldest son. And, and Gideon is saying, hey, I'm not the oldest. I'm not even the middle child, okay? I'm not one, you know, one farming accident from my older brother away from taking over things. I'm not even that. I'm the youngest. I'm nobody. I'm not competent to do what you're asking me to do. Here's, don't, watch, listen, don't miss this. Get ready to read along, Okay. And the Lord answered, what are those next five words? I will be with you. Let's say that again. I will be with you. Let's say it again. I will be with you. In other words, God is saying, hey, Gideon, this isn't about you. Gospel City Church, this isn't about us. If you go on to read chapter six, seven, and eight, I mean, God is constantly reminding Gideon and the people of Israel, this isn't about your ability. This isn't about your strengths. Gideon is going to war and he has 32,000 fighting men. God says, mm, that's too many. He says, tell all the guys if they're scared even in the least bit to go home. 22,000 people leave. He's down to an army of 10,000 about to take on, you know, an alliance here. And and then God says, mm, that's still too many. Uh, have them all go down to the pond and drink some water. And anybody who gets on their knees and drinks directly out of the, out of the pond, send them home. Anybody who lifts the water to their, uh, to their mouth with, and cups their, uh, the, their, the, their palm and brings the water, keep them. He was left with 300 fighting men to take on three different armies. God says, now we're talking. Because Gideon, this isn't about you. This isn't, about, this isn't about your competency. This is about me. 
This isn't about your ability. This isn't about your talent. This isn't about your skill set. This isn't about your potential. This isn't about your strengths. This isn't about your, 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 your past. This isn't about your future. This is about my presence. And I will be with you. And the presence of the Lord is absolutely essential in our lives. And it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference when we're sitting in that doctor's office getting chemo. It's the presence of the Lord. When we're sitting at home again on a Friday night, the presence of the Lord makes all the difference. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. What's your them? What terrifies you? What are you afraid of? I'll go first. For years, I was afraid of that I was going to be a failure, that I wasn't going to live up to people's expectations, that I was going to disappoint people, that I was going to let people down. And guess what? I did. And I still do. I, that's one promise I'll make you. I will disappoint you at some point. I got fired from a job that I loved. But what I learned, what I discovered outside of the gospel is that the Lord is with me. Now think about this. The creator and sustainer of the universe is, has bound himself to us. And he cannot and will not leave us. So let's quit looking at ourselves through the lens of our own abilities. Let's quit trying to build our lives on our abilities or competencies and let's start building our lives on the promises of the one true God. Let's start building our lives on the truth and the strength and the majesty and, and the beauty and the mercy and the grace and the justice and the sovereignty of almighty God. Let's build our lives around that, not our competencies. And the last question is a question of certainty. And some of us, we struggle with our faith because we can't connect all the dots. And that's where Gideon was. Gideon replied, verse 17, If now I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. And Gideon struggled with this. You read the next three chapters. Gideon keeps going back to God. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, you're asking me to do something that may cost me my life or lead to my complete embarrassment or a combination of the two. And so I need to be sure, who are you? And so the angel says, go prepare, go prepare a meal and bring it back. And so Gideon goes and he prepares a meal and the angel touches it with the staff and the, and the meal is just consumed by this fire out of the rock. And, and then Gideon knows, okay, the Lord really is with me. And Gideon builds the altar, builds an altar and he said, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and there he called it, the Lord is peace. I'm going to close with this and kind of wrap up really quick. As the band comes, this word peace, it does not mean the lack of conflict. But peace, this word is shalom. Shalom. Shalom means a wholeness, a completeness, a flourishing life. 
And that's what you and I have access when we make God number one, front and center, Lord, King of our hearts and our lives. That's what we have. doesn't mean that bad, painful circumstances aren't going to come our way. They will. Doesn't mean we're not going to be rejected. Doesn't mean that we're going to have everything that we want or everything we need. But it does mean in the midst of all of that, we can have shalom. And we need to practice the presence of God. So I want to give you three quick things to practice the presence of God in your life. Number one is read the Bible. To read the Bible, His Word. It is so important that we get His truth in our heads, in our minds, because sometimes it takes our hearts a little bit to catch up. And so we need consistent moments in God's Word, if not daily. It doesn't have to be a long time, but it needs to be consistent. Second, we need to practice saying, God, you are, and then fill in the blank. What has God been to you? God, you are faithful. God, you are, you are beautiful. God, you are full of mercy. God, you are grace. God, you are strength. God, you are refuge. God, you're my shield. God, you're my defender. What has God been to you? And tell him, tell him and remind you of who he is. And then who do you need him to be today? God, I really need you to be provider because I have no idea how I'm going to how I'm going to make it. God, I need you. You are strength. I need you to be strength for me. I don't think I can go through the day. God, I need you. God, you are companion. God, I'm so stinking lonely. So consistent moments in those words. God, you are, and then worship. Now, I don't know if you've got room in your four-door sedan for Caleb and the band to ride with you to work or not. But you can put some songs on whatever you get your music from. And I'm not just talking about singing worship, although that's important because we're reminding ourselves who God is and what he's done. But it's living out these songs. It's living out worship. It's living worship. It's offering our lives to him each and every day. And when we practice the presence of God, we will have shalom in our lives. So I'm just gonna ask, if we just take a moment to reflect, whatever I bow your head and close your eyes, let me just ask you a few questions. What circumstances are you facing that robs you of any peace? What arena of your life are you depending on your competency? And what is your them? What is your them? let's say your worst them comes true who will you find God to be then that he isn't now because he is the same today yesterday 